Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you guys. This is just a little too low. <laughs> yeah, you guys can probably see me if I do it like this. Oh, boy. It was either circus or church. One or the other. <laughs> so here I am. Uh, wow. So um, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Veritably a national holiday. I'm wondering if there's a, if there's a little straw poll um, here. Does it, if you care about, I mean, I don't care which way you go on this, okay? So the, you can, if, if you're, if you're going to watch the game because you care about either one of those teams. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. And then, uh, just as I suspected, and then uh, going to watch the commercials in the halftime. Okay. Yeah. The marketing wins out, I guess. I did. I, I, should be interesting uh, with uh, Justin at halftime. Last time that went a little strangely, so hopefully this one's a little bit better. You know, Crested Butte has some special events. Uh, we have, we don't have the Super Bowl, but we have our football, but we have the Alley Loop. Yeah. Okay, that just, just defines the difference between us and every other place. And we also have the Fat Bike Worlds. Well, there are no Fat Bike Worlds, but just because we said that, that they exist, they are here, right? Which is amazing. I was actually in Dallas a couple of years ago, and I was reading the newspaper a few weeks before this, this weekend when they had that race, and, uh, and, they, and it was publicized like half a page in the Dallas Morning News, Fat Bike Worlds in Crested Butte. I was like, okay, that's awesome. Chad Olson came in second in one of those races. I, yeah. So he's downstairs. Um, it's, it's one of the only races that you don't want to come in first. Think about that. Because you, you don't want to win and get branded with the fat bike. Because that's what the, the prize is. You get branded on your rear end. So you don't want to win. Where else, can you be, where else can you race in a race that you don't want to win? It's strange. Okay. Anyway, that's Crested Butte for you. For those of you who, uh, you know, there's just those strange little facts about living here. Uh, things are going on right now in the past couple of weeks. Uh, we are in a series. I'm going to transition now. Um, <laughs> this leads right into the message. We are in the last Sunday today of our series on the names of Jesus. Uh, we called it You Shall Call His Name Jesus. That was his given name, the name he used day to day. But he was given many other titles and, and uh, descriptive uh, phrases and things that described who he was. And we've talked about a lot of them, shepherd and the light of the world. Um, well, you, we've been through several of, I think, 10 of them. This is the 11th. And uh, all of those, like Messiah, these are words that, and phrases that uh, kind of flow off the tongue. They're really nice. Uh, they, they sound really good. They're easy to talk about. Jesus is the light of the world. Man, that's, that sounds good. Today, we're going to change all that because we're going to look at a name that's a little bit harder for us, especially Western people, to get our minds around him, and that is that he is judge. And I don't know if you noticed that when, uh, when John was reading the passage, but it says he has been appointed judge. And I didn't want to do this series without getting to this point, because it's really important that we understand what it means when Jesus is called the judge. Let's read, I'm just going to read a part again of what he read to us earlier. This is Acts 10, 42 and 43. 
And Peter is in the midst of a message he's giving to people to encourage them to follow Jesus. Okay, This is not long after Jesus has ascended. And he commanded us, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people, to you, and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, I don't know how you feel about the fact that Jesus is called judge and called judge many times in the scripture. But what I want to say, the main point that I want to make today is it is a beautiful thing that Jesus is judge. It is a very, very good thing that Jesus is judge. And if that sounds odd to you, then I hope that we can unfold that so that uh, we all can connect with how important it is Um, how sublime it is that he is judge. It is a beautiful thing. And so three points I want to take you through as we look at these two verses. Uh, There is the hard reality, the hard reality that we need a judge, that justice must be upheld. Then there is very good news, and that is the good news that Jesus is that judge. And then uh, what does that mean to us in practical daily life? Well, it, the, it is a transforming truth. It is, it's a very simple transforming result that happens because Jesus is judge. So hopefully we can uh, unfold that away and that we all can get a, a bit of a taste and be encouraged by the beauty, that it, the beauty of the fact of Jesus as judge. So let's talk about this uh, hard reality that we need a judge and or we're going to be judged. So look at Romans 14.10. Just we're going to take a snippet out of it. Some of you have heard this before. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me uncomfortable. We have a lot of ideas about what judgment is. It brings up a lot of feelings like, what, what is the basis on which I'm judged? Who is the judge? How, how fair are they? Is this an equal thing? You know, because we have all these competing images and experiences of being before a judge or thinking about that. For instance, the Olympics are coming up, and there's a lot of subjective judging going on in the Olympics. Ice skating, for instance, right? Like, you could wear a bad outfit and lose some points, I think. And frankly, that's not hard to do in ice skating, apparently, <laughs> um, <laughs> to wear a bad outfit. But... Uh, but, you know, a very small mistake can, in the eyes of the judges, send your uh, competitiveness out the window, right? And you never know for sure what the judges are going to say. Or then there's American Idol, right? We know those, that's where you have America judge you. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's going to be fair. Um, when, they, when everybody's, you know, dialing in. Or uh, a running race. That's another kind of thing where, where one, in any race like that, one person wins. Like it's set up, the rules are very clear. Oh, there's only one way to win. You have to be the best. Everybody else is second or first loser, right? So there, there are very um, programmatic, clear ways to be successful and be judged above others. The one I think that concerns me is just the idea of a, a capricious judge, a judge who doesn't seem to have rhyme or reason. 
And I think when we sometimes are considering what God is like, we wonder, is, is he capricious? Will he do just whatever he wants to do? Or will he follow the standards that have been set, that he has set? Uh, I was uh, reading the news about Premier League soccer. I don't Anybody into Premier League soccer here? There's like three of us, four, okay. Um, and there's a referee last week. He's been a referee for like 30 years. And there's a picture of him in, in the news. And he's literally doing this kind of karate move, and he's tripping a player. This is the referee, okay? And, you, and you, you're like, this can't be real. And it is. And the, 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 uh, the player falls, and then he gives the, the player a red card. Okay, that, if you know anything about soccer, this is very strange. This is what happened. And, well, he, the, it turns out the referee got suspended for, for doing that. But here's the person who's in charge doing something, you know, upholding the rules and making the game work, and suddenly something crazy happens, a capricious random act. And so when we think about judgment, all kinds of things come into our mind. Then, so there's that side of judgment. What will the judge be like? What will I be judged on? But then there is the feeling and the, the process of dealing with guilt. Like, how, how do we work with guilt with knowing that we probably do need to be judged, right? that there are things that we could be judged about. I think some of you may have had this experience. Uh, it was probably one of the times, I don't know which one of the times I got sent to the office in middle school, but my mom had to come pick me up and bring me home. And uh, this is one of those things where she was so angry with me that she, she said, you know what, I'm so mad at you. Go to your room, and you're just going to wait for your dad to get home. So this is, it's been a few years, just a few years since middle school. <clears throat> and y'all, I still remember that whole afternoon, all five or six hours of the misery of that day, of waiting for my dad to come home. And it was a mix of feelings like, yeah, I did this. I brought this on myself. I deserve to be judged. There was just no question, Right? My mom knew it. Everybody knew it. I didn't know if my dad knew or if he was just going to find out when he got home, right? But I do remember seeing his car pull up out front and him coming in. I was just, oh God, I just felt so bad for disappointing my, so bad for disappointing my father. And, and I was afraid of what the consequences were going to be. And you may have experienced that. And when I brought up the idea or the, the fact that we'll be judged, probably some of you were thinking, oh God. How do, I, how do I deal with this? I have, there's so much. Uh, because guilt makes me think of a list of wrongs, of things in secret, in public, uh, that whatever they are, the things that I have done, and I, can, I know I can list them. On the lighter side, you remember the, in, in Seinfeld when, uh, <clears throat> when they go to, to celebrate Festivus? And Festivus has a part of the, of the made-up alternative holiday at Christmas where they air their grievances. And you get a list of things that you did wrong against the family. Well, you know, that's a funny way of, of setting out, you know, your, your, uh, the things we've done wrong. I don't know about you, but the holidays in my house are like that because my sister, I have a particular sister who'd be like, we'd sit around the table and she'd say, She'd air the grievances, and she still does this. She's like 45. She goes, Scott, you remember that time when I was like 10, and you did that something to me? I'm like, no, I don't remember it. 
but why don't you tell the story? You know, so she does that like every holiday. There's something that I did and she brings up. But did you see and read about, um, uh, I wrote, what's that guy's name? Um, Larry Nasser, right? He's the guy who abused all the gymnasts, right? And the judge did an amazing and very unique sentencing process in that trial where uh, she had over 150 women come and confront that guy face to face, right? I'm sure you've all seen that. That's the kind of picture that I have when I read where I'm going to be judged. There's going to be this horrible public list of everything I've done, and it's going to be like on the news. And the judge is going to be sitting there, and everybody's going to know all the deepest and worst and darkest and lightest, everything. It's just going to be a list. And so when I hear that passage from Romans, it says, there will be a day of judgment, and you will be judged, and Jesus is the judge. It gives me a lot of of fear, honestly. I dread that list of wrongs being read. I dread being like Larry Nassar sitting there on the in front of all of them listening to that. We have ways of dealing with our guilt and in, in things like that. We we process these things pretty well. One of them is is this we like to minimize, right? Uh yeah, that's part of my life. I did that, that's in the history, or I just did, but it's not that big of a deal, right? Definitely something I, I do. Another one I got from science class somewhere. Correct me if I'm wrong, Lisa, on this. But for every reaction, I think there's something like this. For every reaction, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Is it something like that? It's, I don't know if it's exact, but, you know. So if I don't minimize what is part of my life and I say, oh, that's not that big a deal. It doesn't hurt anybody. Uh, maybe just me a little bit. Then the next level is, well, it's a one-to-one thing. You know, just I did this and it will have an impact, but it's not. It's, it's one-to-one. But what the Bible says is something a little bit different. It says in Romans also, it says, the wage of sin, the wage of rebellion against the God, the wage of my choice of selfishness is death. Okay? Now, so we have, to, we have to take that in and understand what is, how serious it is when we choose against God. The wage of sin is death. So it's not one-to-one, or it's not something I can minimize. Sin against a holy God has incredibly horrible consequences. It's like a match dropped on the forest floor in California, right? You don't do that, right? None of us would ever do that, because we've seen the devastation. Sin has the wage of death. It is always much greater than we can ever imagine. We can't minimize it, yet we do. That's how we process and, and kind of keep ourselves feeling okay. Right and wrong require judgment. Let me ask you uh, to think about it this way. If each person could each one of us could decide what the outcome of an act is, or if we, we could determine the consequences or, or value the sin, which is what we do, what, does that, what is the logical conclusion of that? There's no standard, right? 
anything goes because I'm always going to minimize whatever it is that's a part of my life. Right? That is anarchy. And we, so we, we act that way, but we crave and need justice. Not only that, but the, the universe is set up with order and right and wrong. And we know that intrinsically. We know it deep down inside. Right and wrong are separated or are held um, up by justice. And justice requires a judge. And that's, that's the hard reality. We have to deal with this. Judgment is real. Jesus is the judge. And that, y'all, is the good news, that Jesus is the judge. Let me read you this passage one more time. And you might particularly pay attention to verse 40, the second, the second half of it. He commanded us, Peter says, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead, the judge over all people of all time. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. So at the very beginning of that, in verse 42, he says, uh, Peter says, I have been told to preach and testify that Jesus is the judge. Now, if, if Peter is doing a persuasive message, probably it doesn't really make sense to make part of that, that Jesus is a judge. If judge is what we think of, right? Peter says, this is good news. I'm going to preach it to you. I'm going to encourage you with the truth that Jesus is the judge. And I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to testify from my life of the value and the importance of the fact that Jesus is the judge. So at the outset, we're seeing that Peter is saying, it is good that Jesus is the judge. You know, some judges... I think and I was asking, a, a lawyer friend was telling me, he said, Some, you don't always want to go before the judge because the judge may have political motivation. The judge may have history that causes a certain outcome. The judge may, you know, again, act capriciously. Some judges uh, hold up the law but give a merciful sentence, right? We've seen all these things. Some of us have experienced these things. But Jesus is different. Jesus is different, and here's how, verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness, and that means that every bit of history that mattered to the Jews points to Jesus. All of everything points to this, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And here's the difference. Jesus is the judge and we, yes, are the convicted. But when the sentence of death is read, Jesus, the judge, steps down and goes around and says, I will take the penalty for this person, you and I. This is the difference, and this is why it's good that he is the judge, because he takes the penalty. And you notice, there is no prerequisite. It says, In order to be forgiven, all we do is believe. We don't have to clean up. We may be on the stand or wherever we are where we are convicted, but we don't have to change to receive what he has offered by stepping down as the judge who takes the penalty. 
It's only by belief that that happens. And here's something that I really didn't, I didn't realize until uh, sometime this year when, it, when this hit me. Um, a perfect judge and a perfect redeemer is required. It, only a perfect judge can uphold this sentence. Only a perfect redeemer can take our place. Think about this for a second. Let's say that in the, in the, uh, the courtroom, four people were convicted of something that the penalty was uh, life in prison without parole. There's no chance you're ever getting out of prison. And then one of the four who's convicted says, excuse me, judge, is it okay if I take on the penalty for my friend number four? I'm number three. I'm gonna, can I just take care of friend number four? I'll just do that sentence too. That doesn't make sense, does it? Because all were convicted of the same crime. All had the same penalty. Only someone who is innocent could say, can I take the place of one of these people? Do you see how critical it is then that Jesus is the perfect judge and the perfect redeemer? He has to be perfect in order for this to happen. He pays a debt that we could not pay. And the only thing that we have to do to access that is to believe. Because d- did you notice that as the good, the good redeemer and the good judge, Jesus completely takes the debt that we... I mean, there is, it is absolutely gone. Anything that you have been feeling when I started bringing up the idea of being judged is completely taken away by no act of your own. That is good news. He is a good judge. So there's hard news and there's good news, but I I just want to give you a little thought here at the end about this. uh, The transforming result, I believe, in our lives of the fact that Jesus is the judge. doesn't mean we're going to be perfect and not mess up or anything like that. It certainly can't mean that. But it does mean this. It means if you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe, if you have been redeemed and he has taken your place, that you are changed. You are changed. And the change that happens in you and I has an impact. It doesn't have an impact like in outer space. It has an impact right here on our friends and our neighbors and our families right here, right now, wherever you are, if you're watching out out there in this town, it has an immediate uh, physical impact. And I want to read you this passage from Titus. Titus is about one page long in the New Testament. It's kind of hard to find. It's towards the back. And a friend of mine read this the other day. I heard him read it, and, I was, and I've read it probably 20 times since then. And at the beginning, he's going to tell us the application. And then he's going to tell us why. He says, this is Paul speaking to Titus. Titus is a a new leader, a young leader in the church. Paul says, hey, Titus, remind the people to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to, I love this part, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Now check this, this stuff out. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, 
slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Guilty. And then the best word in the Bible, but. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, this is the judge, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so if that's you, if you've been redeemed, if you're a follower of Jesus, which means you believe that he has taken your place because you were guilty. I'm going to read three one more time. Or, uh, excuse me. The, uh, yeah, verse, sorry, one. <laughs> Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. This is the practical outcome of once we know Jesus. To be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. What if that was true about believers? What would that do in this town, in your family, right now, in your family, your, your immediate family? It's, transform, it's a very simple, very transformative truth that comes because Jesus is the Redeemer, the perfect judge. What would it mean in our town when you're just out to eat today? The people that you interact with in business, the people you serve, whatever you do. Man, it would be powerful. It's so, God doesn't call us to be like super giant spiritual people. He doesn't say, hey, be a superstar. He just says, show amazing courtesy. Do you see how the gospel in Titus right there is just this amazing thing of the grace of God and it just put against this little tiny thing. It says, just, you know, be submissive, be loving, be a humble person. You know, this is the outcome of knowing Jesus. How practical can you get? It's that simple. Because he did that, I'm motivated to live this way. God, I pray that you will lead us to, to not try to uh, appease you or try to be something special or super spiritual or click off the list or do all the things we learned growing up that you have to do in order to be right before God, before you. But realize that we cannot do it. It is impossible. Every sin that we not only inherited but also acted upon is worthy of death. So we really can't get there. It's only by the perfect Redeemer that we can be in relationship with you. So, God, we just, uh, we just want to settle in, enjoy the fellowship and the blessing that we can be to other people because of what you've done for us. So I pray for that, for us, for your community, for the community of our town, even today, that it will be blessed because believers, followers of Jesus walk within it. So it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, you guys have a great afternoon.